name is Melissa Beavers, and I'm so excited to be hosting this uh, podcast for the Insights Association North Atlantic Chapter, DEI Matters. This podcast series discusses all things DEI within the Insights community and beyond. We hope you will join us for some insightful, challenging, and fun conversations, and then be motivated to act. Today, I will be co-hosting with my partner, Amy. This is our fifth monthly podcast, and we intend to continue releasing new conversations throughout the year, so stay tuned. First, before we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsors who have helped make this initiative possible. Zappi, Forsta, Digital Research Inc., AMF, and CFR. Diversity and equity and inclusion is a huge topic and is one that is having something of a cultural moment. It's likely that most, if not all people who are listening in or on this particular podcast have had some experience with DEI training or thought pieces within their work environments or their professional lives. While nothing about DEI is easy, there are elements of this that are more obvious that are brought up in many conversations such as race and ethnicity, gender and gender identity, sexual orientation, all very common areas for DEI work. And today we're going to be discussing more in depth about gender and gender identity. With that in mind, we'd like to welcome our guests, Jessica and Hannah. Um, would either of you like to go first to introduce and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Jessica Broom. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the founder of Southpaw Insights. We are a certified woman-owned, disability-owned primary research agency. Our name is Southpaw because I'm a lefty and I hire a lot of lefties, but our work is ambidextrous. We do both qual and quant, mostly in the B2C space, always with the aim of helping our clients understand people. And I'm here with my colleague, Hannah. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name is Hannah Kaplan. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a research associate at Southpaw Insights. Um, I'm based in Jersey City, New Jersey, and I'm excited to be here today. And I'd like to offer Amy the opportunity to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. This is Amy Santa Pietro. You may have heard me on past DEI Matters podcasts. Um, I also use she, her pronouns. And so Jessica and Hannah, we're going to deviate from the questions that we had shared over with you. And let's take a moment to actually talk about that. Can you offer us some insight as to why it matters to share what pronouns you use? Sure, we do it sort of a, it's a company-wide thing that we we try to do it whenever possible, more just to normalize um, the sharing of pronouns. Sometimes people aren't comfortable sharing or don't want to share, um, and we try to just make it the normal thing to do. But Hannah might have a different perspective. I agree. I think um, the more you normalize the sharing of pronouns in um, all types of spaces, the more that uh, gender diverse people feel comfortable sharing if they do so choose. 
Well, thank you for that, because I think it's an interesting kickoff to our discussion today. And on behalf of Melissa and I and myself, we're just incredibly excited to have you both with us. So let's start off with thinking about how gender and gender identity fit into the broader spectrum of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What do those words mean to you in this context? Yeah, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion are like sustainable or healthy, right? Like they mean totally different things depending on who's saying it. Um, for me, broadly, like at the most base level, I think it means making opportunities accessible to all different people, regardless of how they look or what kind of life experience they have. I love that. I think that is definitely where I sit in the space, um, making sure that everything is equitable um, and accessible to everyone, no matter what walk of life. I think it's a great way to think about the concept of DEI in the workspace and in general. How about you, Hannah? How do you see DEI in your space? Sure, I'd say um, when I think about DEI, I think about um, centering the voices and experiences of folks most marginalized in various spaces, because um, putting them at the kind of epicenter of our work allows everyone to benefit. Um, not just people in specific communities. I think in our world, like in our business, there's a there's a few different ways that DEI comes through, both internally and externally. So internally within Southpaw, you know, we're a multicultural, multi generational team, and I've really consciously tried to build it as an organization where everyone can show up to work as their as their full self, show up as who they are, right? We're like the New Orleans of research companies where people who might not fit in everywhere can fit in here. Um, and who you are at Southpaw, who you are as a whole person, it's a benefit, not a liability, right? We feel like people's experiences, their perspectives just make them stronger researchers. And I never wanted to be a part of a team or lead a team where everybody looks just like me and has the same life experiences as me. And I don't think that benefits our clients either. That's not who they want doing their research. Um, we try to also partner with a lot of diverse suppliers. We're a certified diverse supplier and about a quarter of our spend in any given year goes to minority owned, women owned, LGBTQ owned businesses. That's from our outsourced finance and marketing to the recruiters and sample partners that we use. We don't want everyone to be carbon copies of our own team, right? We want that diversity of thought, diversity of experience that just makes us stronger and better. Um, and then just to echo what Hannah said about using our voice to, to our work to amplify voices and experiences of, of marginalized groups that don't always get heard, right? We try to approach every project from a place of humble curiosity. We design studies in a way that brings people in and makes them comfortable. We're very thoughtful about being respectful and considerate of our respondents, right? They're going to give us their time and energy and open their hearts or sort of spill their guts. We, the least we can do is be considerate of them, listen to them, and then try to use our 
privileged position as professionals who have the ear of a lot of major corporations and organizations to help elevate voices and stories that might might not always be heard. That's awesome. I love that. I also, something I heard in your response, which was, um, I think that a lot of folks forget is that intentionality of building your team with DEI in mind as not just a, a buzzword, but as a business practice to make sure that your business is truly inclusive and representing the folks that you are not only interviewing, but the world that we live in. Um, and I think that sometimes uh, some corporations forget that. And so that's really, really wonderful to hear that it's it comes across as authentic. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's not always easy, but um, we do try to make it a conscious decision. And we we talk about this stuff on our team all the time. So it, it only gets easier. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. Jessica and, and Hannah, it, it really does. It, it's obvious in listening to you that diversity and equity and inclusion are really woven into the fabric of your organization. But we all know that that's not true for every organization. And so I wonder if you were to step out of your own immediate work surroundings, what do you, what, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone who wanted to get started with DE&I? What do you think are some lower hanging fruits or easy wins that individuals within an organization can do to try and um, build some momentum? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I think the first thing I would tell people is it's it's important to see DNI not as like a siloed standalone function, which I think is how a lot of organizations view it, right? I think it's something that needs to integrate into your HR practices, yes, but also into your procurement and your product and your communications and your marketing. Um I know you said low hanging fruit and I just told you to do everything. So that might not be the low hanging fruit, but I think what I would tell someone as an easy way to get started, you know, before you get started, you have to figure out where you're starting from. Uh, we do a lot of what we call these 360 scans where we'll talk, go into an organization and talk to multiple layers of stakeholders from employees to suppliers, to customers, to just the general public, non-customers to understand like, what is this organization all about? What do they stand for? How do they welcome different people, support different people, or what could they do better? And I think for all these different stakeholder groups, you're gonna get wildly different perspectives and wildly different answers, but they all sort of ladder up to the same place. And if you come from a, a top-down mindset of, singularity, like if every ad you only put, you put out only has cisgender white people, or you have no adaptive products, I would guess that an organization like that probably has employees who maybe are people of color, people living with disabilities or LGBTQ who don't feel so welcome either, right? So I think there are a lot of different components to DE&I, but they all ladder up to um, just a high level philosophy that it's the right thing to do. And I would tell people, if you if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know where you're starting, you, you don't know where to go. So starting with some kind of internal assessment um, 
would be the best advice I could give people. I think that makes a lot of sense and will likely resonate with a lot of our listeners in the insights community. I hope um, so. I think we all, hopefully this is an audience of listeners who are very deeply understand the idea that you cannot fix something that you cannot measure. And so I think that's such a good piece of advice in this space as well. Um, yep. You know, I'm curious, I would imagine that a lot of companies who come to you come to you for a reason and come to you because they're seeking your experience in the DEI space. But I am curious, what are some of the challenges or pushback that you faced with mm. clients? Yeah. Um, it's that's a good question too. It's so many, but I would say like they often they're overwhelmed, right? They don't know where to start. It can be a really big lift. Um they don't always want to go out on a limb or make that investment. And I think a big thing is that clients are worried that they're worried about what they might find out, or they're worried that we're going to come back and say, oh, you're doing it all wrong, right? We have this one client that we do a, a lot of DE&I work with. They're a big financial services company. We were just talking to them about the findings from an employee study. And their employees were really not shy about saying you could do better on this, you could do better on that. And we, you know, we laid it all out there for them. And at the end of the meeting, our client said, you know, thank you guys so much for, for going through that. It was really hard to hear, but it's what we needed to hear. So I think a lot of people start at that place of it's so hard to hear. It's easier just to bury your head in the sand and not think about it and not assess it or evaluate it. But you know, the easy thing to do isn't always the right thing to do. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I do want to shift gears for a moment and think more specifically about gender and gender identity through um, it, within our industry. And as it becomes more widespread and more, you know, more people are talking about it, you know, it, it might, that might be, that might enable it to become more easy to talk about. But, you know, Hannah, I'm, I'm curious as to your own experience and what has your specific journey been like within the market research industry and how, you know, maybe has it changed from when you started in the industry to today? And, and how far do you think you still have to go? Sure, that's uh, big questions, important stuff. Um, I'll start talking a bit about uh, my own experience. Um, so I got my MPH from UMass Amherst and my background is really in reproductive health, gender, sexuality studies and research. Um, I thought I would really stay in that field, but at a certain point, I wanted to expand my research um, and weave my foundation of feminist studies into other fields that might not have that lens as like a cornerstone. So that's when I joined Southpaw Insights back in 2022. And if I'm being honest, like starting out in the market research world, I really wasn't sure if there was a place for me here. Um, being a non-binary queer person, I'm always navigating these various dimensions of how people see me, how I see myself, um, and all the ways that that can shift and mold depending on environment and timing. Um, but honestly, I've been met with colleagues, you know, both at Southpaw and in the industry as a whole that are really 
open and really eager to learn and have these discussions. Um, I'm thinking about the QRCA conference that I went to for the first time this year. Um, and a lot of those really great discussions were in the works. Um, I think our training as researchers encourages this like constant exploration. Um, I can talk a bit about some like trends I've been seeing in, in the LGBTQ <laughs> consumer. Yeah, I was just behavior. about to follow up with you on what you were saying because you were talking about shifting and changing and how you, your perspectives of yourself are from a personal journey. How do you see those trends happening in market research? And then further, what is the best way to help our clients understand those trends and shifts? And maybe if you both have some insights on best practices within um, sample design, survey design, um, vendors, and those kinds of things that we could share with our audience. Sure. Um, great, great questions. So I will say um, that I was just at New York City Pride this weekend. So on top of being excited to come Yay. come talk to y'all today, um, I've been thinking a lot about this as I was like at the parade and watching everybody and seeing all that queer joy. Um, so definitely rainbows and tr like these trendy ad campaigns aren't enough anymore for LGBTQ people, if they ever were enough. Um, we see this like mass uh, proliferation of pride marketing. And I really feel like the typical LGBTQ consumer just isn't going to be drawn to like rainbow packaging in the same way that they would have five years ago. So I'll say that we're definitely more critical and we expect authentic advocacy, both internally and externally. So like internally, a lot of like what Jessica was talking about at what we believe at Southpaw um, uh, to create like affirming workplace environments, also supporting LGBTQ legislation. Um, and then externally, we expect their marketing product development to also be pro LGBTQ. Um, and definitely the way that companies position themselves within the queer landscape um, is super important. And that commitment to allyship does pay off. Um, I just saw this study that uh, over of over a thousand LGBTQ individuals in the US and they found that almost 80% of LGBTQ people will spend more on a product from an LGBTQ friendly company versus their competitor. And over half of those people have asked friends or family to like buy a product simply because the company is LGBTQ friendly. So we have a lot of buying power. Um, and in terms of how people can, you know, understand the shifting landscape, I would say is really just listening to us and being open to that evolution. So do you have any recommendations for the best places and ways in which the insights community can listen? Um, is it surveys? Is it um, following influencers? How do we access the community in a way that meets the community where it is and is authentic and not pandering? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so LGBTQ people are already in your research studies, right? 
they're sitting in the room, they're there. It's just really about whether y'all, the researchers in the room acknowledge that and leverage that, right? So like over 7% of the US population is LGBTQ and that number is growing profoundly. Like I think the most recent data is one in five Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ, which is huge um, and might be surprising to some people. Um, I think that not only does this tell me that the future is more queer than ever, uh, it tells me that research organizations such as Gallup who collected that data are asking questions around identity in a way that's really inclusive. And in turn, respondents are more open to share those details about themselves. Um, for example, this could be something as simple as like allowing a multi-choice select when it comes to gender identity um, or allowing respondents to write in the open end how they identify with their sexual orientation. Um, this is definitely like a big topic in the research world is how to ask these sexual orientation and gender identity, also known as SOGI questions. I do wanna give a shout out to the um, Idea Council and Cindy Newman. They're doing some great work about research on research about the best way to ask SOGI questions. Um, and I encourage you to check out their reports that are coming out shortly. Yes, we are uh, definitely aware of the reports as we are a member chapter of Insights Association and the, the podcast host, Amy um, Fada and I are also um, working on the, or starting to work on the next phase of research, which will be focused on neurodivergency. Um, but they did talk to them and they have done great work on race and ethnicity last year. We can't wait for the work on gender, gender identity and sexual orientation to come out. It's slated for later this fall, if I'm not mistaken. So they're just, yeah. Were you able to participate in the idea council research um, as a voice, Hannah? Um, not as of now, but I have been following them closely. Awesome. Um, yeah. Hannah has a lot to say. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think it's important, you know, and yeah. that we keep the platform to folks so that they can um, express what they're feeling about how they're presented in research and how we um, reach out and connect with every part of our communities, right? Um, and without people like Hannah who are willing to share those thoughts, we would not probably be doing this in an offense. A hundred percent. I feel like things have changed. You know, I'm a little bit older than Hannah. And I feel like since I started my career in research, things have changed dramatically. And there's so much more openness, not only to who we hire and who we have on our teams, but at and how we approach research um, and asking questions and not making assumptions. It's it's come such a long way in the last 20 years, and I, I kind of can't wait to see what's next. Agreed. It's very exciting, and it's, it feels, um, I think it allows for a lot of us to be and feel seen in spaces where we have not been or felt seen. So, yes, so much. Yeah. So yeah. much agree. <laughs> yeah. Part of me, part of me. Um, Let's see, um, how important is it for market research firms to include LGBTQ representation in their research study? And what 
benefits can this bring? I think we touched on this a bit, but I want to make sure our, our listeners have a true understanding of how this can impact their research and how they can bring this to their clients um, for greater, deeper insights into what their uh, whatever their product line that they're developing, whatever their service that they're marketing, how important that this is. Yeah. So uh, like I mentioned, you know, one in five Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ and that number is expected to grow. And, you know, I'm, I'm younger than maybe Jessica, but like the world of gender and gender identity is constantly evolving. Um, and sometimes, um, even I don't feel like up to date on it. So I'm constantly speaking to people, younger folks, um, about what that looks like and how they choose to express themselves in this world, um, and I think that's really our like primary role as researchers, right? Is just to be receptive to this ever evolving nature um, of the human experience and create these spaces in the research world that are inclusive, that are affirming, that people can really bring them their full selves um, and to ask the right questions. And like I said, that benefits more than just people in the LGBTQ community. Um, and I would say as a company, you really run the risk of being left behind if you aren't kind of receptive to this ever-evolving nature. Um, and we know, you know, at Southpaw, like Jessica mentioned, one of our priorities is to allow that safe space for employees and respondents to show up as their full selves because... You know, we know that the more that people show up as themselves, the smarter, the richer, the deeper our insights will be. And I think just to chime in on that, like in the industry, we say like, oh yeah, we do research. I do qual, I do quant, I do surveys, I do focus groups, whatever it is. But what we really do, what's at the heart of it is we give people you know, regular people, all kinds of people, a, a voice and an opportunity to have their opinions and their stories heard and taken into account. And we give the organizations, the brands that we work with, the opportunity to be that brand that really speaks to their customers or really inspires loyalty from its employees because you listen to them and you understand them, right? I think without coming at it from this perspective, uh, I think coming at it from this perspective can just open open a lot of doors and provide a lot of clarity. So Jessica, you mentioned the clients that you work with and making sure that we get representation in all of our research. I do want to circle back to that idea for a moment. Can you share, you know, just kind of off the cuff, any aha moments that you've been able to sh share back with clients or any any examples of a time where results have been surprising enough to actually shift what a company was going to do? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, the examples that I always go to are clients who... Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Sorry, you might have to cut some of this. Um, I mean, the, the example that I always go to is a client who is doing a logo test and they, I, I don't know if they had like an all male 
creative team or what, but they developed a logo. It was all about um, like taking aim and meeting your goals, but their logo that they were testing looked like two little circles with dots in the middle. Like it, it looked like a pair of breasts. And we went into focus groups and we're like, so what do you think this um, campaign is about? What, what are they, what are they trying to tell you with this logo? And everybody in the group said, oh, breast cancer, breastfeeding, getting mammograms. And the client just had completely missed the mark on their, their logo. And I think without doing the qual, without doing those groups, they would have invested a lot into production of this logo that did not communicate what they thought it communicated. I don't know if that's that the is, kind of example you were looking for. No, I think that is such a great example. I think, you know, we have a saying on our side that creative testing saves careers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you you can prevent these obvious missteps from happening by introducing different perspectives to the conversation. And I think oh that my is gosh. such a great example. It's so true. I This is another example that's not necessarily research related, but it stuck with me. I'm a big Peloton fan. And I was just doing a class with my favorite instructor, Cody Rigsby. Got to give him a shout out. <laughs> and he was doing a class that was all little mix, you know, the, the group. And he was like, did you guys know that when little mix first originated, the original name they wanted to give them was rhythm mix. And he's like, that's such a terrible name. Clearly no gay was in the boardroom when they came up with that name. And I was like, yes, that's, that's what we're trying to tell people all the time. Like if you don't have inclusive decision-making and you don't include all kinds of perspectives, you're going to make a wrong call. It might be smaller, it might be big, but it's going to happen. That is, that's another funny example, but I think <laughs> I it's true. It's, it's another, it's, so it's true. A, it's another Honestly, it sounds like another band, idea. right? It <laughs> right? totally sounds like the Rhythmics. It may be nobody yes. else of a certain age. I'm glad they changed the name. <laughs> I know. So Jessica, before we wrap up and Jessica and, and Hannah, thank you again for your time today and your perspective on this topic. I, I wanted to come back to the idea that not everybody works for an, an organization that is so forward thinking from a, a DEI perspective. But you mentioned something earlier around the fact that you're a DEI certified vendor. Can you talk for just a moment about what that means and how companies that might be just be looking to start somewhere, might start with that list. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so this whole idea of supplier diversity and large companies and government organizations trying to diversify their supplier base, right? Because we all know people do business with people they like, but I think often people do business with people who look like them. So women-owned, LGBTQ-owned, minority-owned, suppliers, small businesses like us um, have not always had opportunities and have not always been able to be on the golf course or in the boardroom where those decisions are being made. So this idea that's been around for probably 40, 50 years, but has really come to the fore in the past few years um, is this idea of supplier diversity. And there are a lot of national organizations. We are members of WeBank, which is the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, 
and Disability In, which is the uh, which is an organization dedicated to promoting the inclusion of disability-owned businesses and disabled people within businesses. Um, NGLCC is the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. All of these organizations do a lot to lift up and elevate suppliers who are diverse in whatever way. And a lot of big companies have really stepped up and expanded their supplier diversity programs. Um, Target does a ton with bringing in diverse suppliers. Capital One is a huge champion of supplier diversity. I tell you know every small business owner that I meet, if you're a woman-owned business or 51% uh, veteran-owned or disability-owned or minority-owned, definitely look into getting these certifications. They can open a ton of doors, not only in terms of business, but also in terms of just opportunity and, and connections. Thank you so much for that explanation. I hope I it helps. Before, before we wrap up our conversation today, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that we didn't talk about um, related to this topic that you think is worth mentioning here today. And obviously we only have so much time in terms of this conversation. And I always feel like we could have hour long podcasts on all of these <laughs> topics because they're so important and they're so big and complex. And that's why we're trying to dive in, but is there anything else that, you know, we, that you want, want to mention before we leave? I mean, I would just remind people that one of our core needs as human beings is to feel seen and feel recognized. And that doesn't change um, if we are gay or straight or men or women or whatever. Um, so if, if you're a brand or an organization that wants to show people that you recognize them, you understand them, you know what's in their hearts and what makes them tick, you, you have to talk to them and you have to talk to them and come at them from an inclusive, open place. Yeah, that's great. And I really agree with that, Jessica. Um, one more thing I want to add, because we talked about a bit in this discussion about you know, bringing your whole self into your work. Um, and so I just wanted to talk briefly touch on something that I think is pretty cool and unique about being a queer researcher myself, um, is that my own experience in the community makes me a stronger researcher in that, um, I would say like a lot of queer folks are really skilled at looking past the kind of black and white binaries of the world really blurring those and challenging our learned assumptions. Um, I always joke being like queer and non-binary, like don't, I don't like to be put into boxes. Um, and this like translates into my work because I'm always searching for the why and the how behind the data. I'm always like looking at the gray and challenging what we think we know and why we know it um, to really amplify those authentic experiences. So I just wanted to add that. I'm so glad that you added that. I think that is a great way to wrap us up today. Um, thank you again, Hannah and Jessica, for joining us. We so appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts with us and uh, for sharing the information about different ways to reach out, get certified, contact folks that are certified um, as diverse suppliers, which I know that our industry is always looking for. 
We also would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Zappi, Forsta, Digital Research, AMS, and CFR. And we thank the Insights Association, uh, National and North Atlantic Chapter for giving us the opportunity to bring this podcast to the Insights community. And special shout outs to our sound engineer, Viraj, and CJ, our social media expert. We ask Thank that. Thank you all so much. Yeah, we, we love it. No, um, <laughs> sorry. Right, we're done. Um, yeah, almost. Um, uh, anybody who wants to continue the conversation, find us, um, hit us up in the comments. We will share uh, the show notes and the links and contact information for Hannah and Jessica and Southpaw Insight. Thanks again, everybody. This was a wonderful conversation. Um, Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, of course. It was great. Thank thank you so much um, for having me and for having Jessica to talk today. And yes, please reach out um, people in the insights world and beyond. Um, I love to talk about what we talked about today and would love to chat more. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. We bring you uh, DEI Matters because it matters to us and we hope that it will matter to you. Until next time.